I think it's helpful to uh, give us some context and help us to understand what's happening here. So let's begin by reading it together. We will have them up on the screen if you need that, or you can follow along in your own Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Daniel chapter 7 reads as follows. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth uh, between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh." After this, I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had, a hu- it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the root, by the roots, excuse me, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated, His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. 
Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and about the other horn which came up before the before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom." Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand, for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and and dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for everything that's here. And as we just prepare, Lord, to take it all in, I I pray that we could all just take a deep breath and just settle our hearts before you and lay aside, cast aside all of those things that are going on in our lives that are distracting to us or that are weighing upon us. And Lord, just to put them down, to lay them down at your feet. And you're the one who said to us through your servant, Peter, that we would cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So, Lord, we do that right now, that we might hear and receive and believe all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've been going through the book of Daniel, and we've talked about up to this point in time through these first six chapters that these are sort of the historical chapters of Daniel. They're, they're sort of the, the life and times of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6. But these last six chapters, 7 through 12, we are going to find Daniel writing down and sharing with us how the Lord spoke to his heart and the prophecies that God gave him. Now remember, as we've gone through Daniel, that Daniel was... Uh, gifted by God, he came. You know, he and his friends were taken captive at about the age of fifteen. Now we're way forward. We're, Daniel's in his eighties at this point, way far down the line. 
But as Daniel came in, God gave him the ability to interpret dreams and to, to, to interpret visions and to, to bring words to the king, uh, to those in, in power and influence. But later in life, uh, this chapter, chapter 7, happens chronologically between chapters 4 and 5 because he starts out talking about in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon's reign which is probably two to three years before chapter five story that we read about there, which was the handwriting on the wall, that Daniel was, you know, relating now that God had been speaking to his heart. And so this, this vision is one of the most prolific visions, one of the most important pieces of prophecy in all of the Bible, I was thinking about this, and let me just say this. Probably like the books of Leviticus, Numbers, Ezekiel, and maybe the Minor Prophets, and the book of Revelation, the last half of Daniel is the least taught and studied and understood portion of Scripture in the Bible. People tend to stay away from the last half of Daniel and the book of Revelation and these difficult-to-understand things. But the reason we do what we do in teaching the Bible verse by verse, and we don't skip anything and we don't leave it out, is for the very reason that we need to be here today because Daniel chapter 7 is a linchpin in end times prophecy. Daniel chapter 7 lays out uh, the prophetic timeline from here to the second coming of Christ, at least from his time, from his time till the second coming of Christ. And let me remind you something about the Bible, this book that we hold in our hands. This is a collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors across three different continents over a period of about 1,500 years, yet there is consistency and agreement between these these books of the Bible and across all of this time and, and across all of these people. You know, most of us sitting here, if you have personal relationships, whether you're married or have friends or family or whatever, you know you have communication problems, don't you? We just do. Man-woman differences. You know, we say one thing, the other person hears another. But to think that 40 different people over 1,500 years could write this material and it all sounds the same, that all relates to one another, that's amazing. Understand something about prophecy as we get into this passage of Scripture this morning. Prophecy is history written beforehand. Prophecy is history written beforehand. I I want, I, I hope and pray that that grips you, that you understand that as we read this, and maybe you can sort of temporarily put yourself in Daniel's shoes and Daniel's mindset, that, you know, you go to sleep at night, and we all probably have some kind of dream, maybe crazy dreams, I don't know, maybe they're the Lord speaking to us, God's spoken to me a number of times in dreams. But speaking something like this, and, and you, you look at the nature of what is said about these beasts and the stirring up of the, of the sea and these beasts rising up out of the sea, and as Daniel said twice in this passage, his heart, his spirit was disturbed within him. He's like, what does this stuff mean? And what do I do with it? And he wrote it down and he's like, I, what do I do with this? And the interesting thing about chapter 7 as we have it is that the following chapters, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, 
basically fill in the details. Chapter 7 is like the high-level timeline of what's going to be happening from the time that Daniel is living back in around 539 B.C. till the end of the age, whenever that is, when the Lord sends the Messiah and he comes. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. But Daniel 7 is a sort of a high-level overview. And as we get into chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that's going to fill in details. So chapter 7 is very important. <clears throat> it's the first place, really, in the Old Testament where this whole thing is laid out about what God's going to do. So looking at, at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Now, as we read chapter 7, I want to remind you of something as we've been going through this. Back in chapter 2, there was a dream that the king had, King Nebuchadnezzar. And in that dream, he had a dream of a statue with you know a head uh, of gold and the chest of uh, bronze and, and a belly and uh, legs and feet, iron, brass, uh, feet, uh, an admixture of iron and clay. And as we went through that, again, that was clearly interpreted for us that we would understand that that was talking about starting with King Nebuchadnezzar, there would be other kingdoms <clears throat> that would come after him. And so we study that in great detail. But as we take chapter 2 and lay it down beside chapter 7, while they're different, they are similar. And we believe that really chapter 7 is sort of taking chapter 2 and bringing it forward and now taking those kingdoms that was talked about with King Nebuchadnezzar and is now being developed here. And now instead of just looking at King Nebuchadnezzar's time, and as we looked at those kingdoms, we talked about how over the due course of time, uh, I listed for you uh, the number of years each of those kingdoms reigned. The, king of ba- the, the kingdom of Babylon, the, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and all of that. And we know that when we take all of those and we add them up, that adds up to about 950, 960 years, almost a millennia, just for the prophecy of those, those kingdoms, those four kingdoms over time. And so here we are, Daniel is seeing this vision. And let me remind you of something else about prophecy before we get too much further. There's always, with prophecy, especially in the Old Testament, there's a near and a far fulfillment. When, when God speaks, there's a near fulfillment, and we, we've, we've seen this as we studied chapter 2, but we'll talk about it today, that uh, the, king, the kingdom of Babylon was about 66 years or so. Then right after that was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and I forget, but it was like 200 years or so that they reigned. And so each of those were fulfilled in due time, and as I said, it, it fulfilled a period of around 950, 960 years. So these visions, these kingdoms... They happened. They happened in short order, so to speak, uh, close in time to the vision. But they also have a continuation. There's something happening in the future. And that's what Daniel's going to enlighten us on this morning. He's going to take what was said in chapter 2 and then go way out in time. Now, from the time that Daniel had this dream and that these things happened till today, we're already sitting at about 2,600 years since these things were spoken. 
So keep all that in mind this morning. Let that sort of stir in the cauldron of of the pot of what we're talking about here. So in verse 3, well, first of all, he said, "And, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. When we get into prophecy, there's dramatic language. There's words being used to paint a picture. And as you read this, I hope that you can see that there's a vision sort of being painted in your mind, right? And if you were to try to sit down, I'm so weak artistically that I can barely draw a stick man when I'm playing Pictionary. But if you had that gift and you could draw these things out and take, take these beasts and try to sketch them out, and many have tried to do that, and then, then you look at it, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy to think what these creatures would look like. So Daniel, as he was given this vision, God started out by sort of letting him see what was happening, um, looking out over the landscape of the great sea, probably the Mediterranean. So God probably took a vision in his mind of, of a sea near him. <clears throat> could have been the Mediterranean, could have been the Adriatic. If you look on a, on a map, you'll see these things. And we have a map later to look at. But Daniel had this vision, and then the waters were stirring. And in the, in the Bible, most commonly, the sea is used to refer to the nations as a whole. <clears throat> and, and often it's used to speak of the Gentile nations in particular. But when we see the sea used as imagery like this, he's looking out over the sea, but the sea is like the sea of humanity, the sea of the nations, And the four winds of heaven sort of speaks of the omnipotence of God as he's stirring things up. Because remember, God's issue with King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 was that Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to bow before God. He, He refused to acknowledge who God was. And remember, God broke him uh, during chapter 4 when he was sent out to the wilderness to live like a beast. And some of that imagery comes back to play in here. So he says here, these four great beasts came up from the sea. So I, in my mind, I sort of envision like someone coming up the stairs there, you know, like think of like a submarine coming up, right? Or something coming up out of the sea. And, and there's this vision of these creatures coming up out of the sea, like they're walking upstairs and they're coming up out of the water. And he says in verse uh, three, these great beasts came up, each different from the other. Verse four, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. I believe he's again taking the imagery of chapter two and the order of those kingdoms and he's replaying them here And it was common imagery in the city of Babylon that they had paintings and replicas of lions in in different places throughout the city. And notice it says here that the first was like a lion, so that sort of indicates to us being ferocious, and had eagle's wings, so it could fly around and move swiftly. And I watched till its wings were plucked off, and I believe, and And as you study these things, many are saying that they believe that this refers to how King Nebuchadnezzar was made to go crazy there in chapter 4. And remember, as we go back and read that, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to the message, that King Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. He lost his mind because he wouldn't acknowledge who God was. And God said, then fine, I'm going to drive you into the wilderness for seven years until you realize who I am and who you are. 
And then finally, at the end of chapter four, you may remember that King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of that seven-year period, he came to his senses. And what he wrote there at the very end of chapter four was his acknowledgement of who God was. And he says, he is the great God. I mean, you can just turn back there and read it. The very end of chapter four, he said, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for uh, the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me and I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Previously, he talked about God as the God of Daniel. Uh, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven and all of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to abase. So he finally acknowledged that. And here in Daniel chapter seven, this vision of a man who was uh, raised up, uh, his wings were plucked off and and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and the man's heart was given to it. And I believe that's referring to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four. And in chapter five, excuse me, chapter seven, verse five, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, and it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. We know historically that the Medo-Persian empire, which arose right after this, and going back to chapter five, remember we we saw this as we read through chapter five that Belshazzar fell at the end of chapter five, verse 30, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So just as in the statue vision in chapter two, here we see uh, the kingdom of Media and Persia rising to fame, rising to take over the world. And At the time, of course, Babylon had taken over so much of of the region there. And we're going to, again, we're going to show some maps in a moment. But Media and Persia, as they were lifted up, they were given a a much greater kingdom. Uh, Mitch, can you bring up that first map there I have uh, listed right after the, the title of the sermon? There you go. I know you're not going to be able to see all of this uh, carefully. I can provide this to you. But we see the area of Babylon there in green in the middle. And then over on the right, the yellow is Media. And then the lower right is sort of the bluish green is Persia. So in the beginning of their relationship, the kingdoms of Media and Persia combined together. Now, if you can show that next map, please. All that blue is what happened in that relationship is Persia sort of arose and took over the relationship. And it was no longer the kingdom of the Medes and the Perds, it was Persians, it was basically the the Persian kingdom. So all of that green is everything that Persia conquered. And if you could see this uh, sort of on a world map, you would see that this is a huge portion. Down in the lower part there, you see a, a globe and you see that sort of red box, if you can see that. That's the section of the world we're looking at where the kingdom of the the Medes and the Persians, mainly the Persians, you know, they took over. They had a much larger kingdom. And so when it says here in verse five, 
that it was like a bear and it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said, thus to it arise and devour much flesh, that they were a ferocious conqueror of worlds. And just uh, lastly, if you can go to that third slide, this gives you a modern day view of that part of the world. And so I'm going to ask you to do something. If you would just flip back to that slide for a moment, the one previous. So kind of picture here, that part in the middle is Saudi Arabia. And you can see all that green. On the left is North Egypt. Um, Up top there, you're getting to Turkey and Greece. Um, And then further up north there, you're getting into the southern part of Russia. And then all the way over to the right, uh, where it goes from green to to sand-colored again, that's India. So it's a huge area. Now go back to today's map. And you can see India, Pakistan, maybe over there on the right. And it goes, that went all the way across all of that area up through Turkey, up to nearly to Greece and all the way over to Egypt. So it's a huge area. Why are we doing all this? So to show you that when God predicted these things, these kingdoms did arise and he allowed them to ascend to power. And he predicted them years and years and years before they arose. Thank you, you can take that down. So the Medes and the Persians were cruel and they were bloodthirsty. They were like a bear, they were voracious and they overtook kingdoms and they expanded their kingdom beyond what Babylon had even after they conquered Babylon. Then in verse six, after this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. This kingdom was the Greek empire and most everyone has heard of Alexander the Great in history. Uh, In our world today, probably very few of us know of any of the real history behind that. But Alexander the Great had such an appetite to conquer kingdoms. And he was that third kingdom. He was the one that came in and and took Babylon and he took the kingdoms of Media and Persia and he he conquered in a a very horrific way. And so he's represented by this leopard. Uh, Let me read something to you here. Alexander the Great quickly conquered the civilized world by age 28. Nothing in the history of the world was equal to the conquests of Alexander, who ran through all the countries from Elycrium to the Adriatic Sea to the Indian Ocean and the River Ganges, and in 12 years subdued part of Europe and all of Asia. So this was Alexander the Great, the Grecian kingdom. After his death, his empire was divided into four parts or four heads. Remember, this beast had four heads specifically. And again, this is recorded for us in in secular history. The four heads were Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy, who inherited Alexander's domain after his death. So there was a literal four-headed kingdom. And then we also note here that each animal is mighty, you know, a lion, a bear, a leopard, but it dominates its prey in different ways. The lion devours, the bear crushes, and the leopard springs upon its prey. So God using these animals as a visionary literary device to communicate what's going to happen. So giving Daniel and anyone who would listen sort of an insight into what was coming from their point of view, and of course, 
with Daniel having grown up and lived in the kingdom of Babylon at the time he was alive until the the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians took over, which was at the very end of his life. He He couldn't have foreseen that. But certainly now, way down the road, 200 plus years, he couldn't have foreseen that Greece was going to become great and that it was going to be a conquering kingdom. So in verse 7, after this, I saw the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, had huge iron teeth that was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, in the vision in chapter 2, the fourth kingdom was the kingdom of Rome that conquered all the way up through Jesus' time, of course. But here... This fourth kingdom is being depicted differently. It's not the kingdom of Rome, and it's something that's yet future. It's way in the future, way beyond the time that Rome would rule and reign. So as he describes this here, he he wonders and he says, what is all of this? And what's this, this beast with the horns and the ten horns and then the little horn and the little horn conquers three of the horns and what's that all about? So let's just continue to read here and let the passage explain it. I watched till thrones, verse 9, were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. This is describing the end of the age. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So Daniel has first been seeing what was going to happen in the near end part of history for him and for the next few hundred years in in his life and in the kingdoms in that part of the world. But now he's sort of being catapulted all the way out to the end of time. And so these two verses here, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, as he talks about the Ancient of Days, who is he speaking of? Well, as we read it, it seems to be talking about God the Father. The Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. Now I'd like to read some passages from you from the book of Revelation that talk about this. Now, in the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, we have a description of Jesus that very much approximates this, but we also know that Jesus is God's son, and certainly it's no stretch to think that a son would look like or act like his father, correct? So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, which we know as representing the churches, One like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, and his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And remember again, this was describing what was happening around what appeared to be a throne. 
And back in verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court was sealed and the books were opened. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4, just verse 4. Really, if you have time, go back and read Revelation 4 and 5, but I'm just going to give you a few snippets. In Revelation 4, 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Fast forward to chapter 5, both of which are describing the same scene. Revelation 5, verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, speaking of Jesus. And remember, in that situation, Jesus took the scroll from the hand of God. So to me, again, I think this is describing God as the Ancient of Days. Uh, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Same language, same description as what Daniel gives us saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So Daniel is being given a vision of this fourth kingdom that's so far out in time. And we know as we read in Revelation chapters four and five, what are we leading up to? We're leading up to the time of the tribulation, right? So let's continue. Verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. So coming back to that that beast that came up out of the sea, that fourth beast that was ugly and had the ten horns. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. And I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Let me just stop and say, when does that happen? We're going to read about it in a moment, but it happens at the end of the time, the end of the age. It happens at the end where God casts Satan into the pit of fire. And the rest of the beast, verse 12, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. In other words, these first kingdoms, they had their time. They, they came, they conquered, they ruled for a period of time, and then their kingdoms were taken away and it was over. But this, this last kingdom, there's something about it. So verse 13, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man. There's Jesus, ancient of days, God. The son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Doesn't Jesus come on the clouds of heaven? Aren't we told that he comes in that way? He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. So you get the sense that Jesus is walking into the throne room of God. And the angels and the elders and whomever, they're like escorting him. They're bringing him right up to the throne, right? Then to him, verse 14, was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Let's pause there for a moment. 
Do you remember when Jesus was on the earth after he had been baptized by John the Baptist, and then he went out to the desert to fast for 40 days, and toward the end of that time, remember Satan came and tempted him? You remember that? And he came with three temptations, and each time, of course, Jesus answered with the word of God saying it is written. But in one of those temptations, Satan took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And do you remember what Satan said to Jesus? He said, these are all mine to give to whomever I wish. And if you will just bow and worship before me, I will give them to you. Satan attempting to tempt Jesus with power. But you see, for a, for a period, for a time, and we're living in that time, the kingdoms and the sway of the world has been given to Satan. There's so many scriptures uh, that talk about this. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Paul called him the prince of the power of the air. And uh, Paul also called him the god of this age. And so for a period of time, since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, Satan has had sort of control over the world. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, near the end of his writing, said, and, and beware for the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So there's a time that Jesus will ascend to the throne and be given control of the world and all of the kingdoms will come to him. Do you remember when Jesus and the disciples had crossed in the boat over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the Gadarenes? Remember when he was casting the demons out of that, that man who lived in a cave and he was just an absolute crazy nutcase head job of a guy because he was demon-possessed and we were told that there was legion, there was many demons, probably thousands inside that man. And as Jesus was casting them out, do you remember what they said to him? What do we have to do with you, son of God? It's not yet our time. What are you going to do to us? Because they had not yet been cast into the pit. And Jesus said, yeah, not yet. And they said, cast us into the swine. So Jesus cast them into the swine and the pigs all ran down the hill into the ocean, to the ocean or the lake and they died. These are things that point us to the fact that while Jesus... And God are still in control, ultimately, of the universe. For a period of time, the world is under satanic control. That ought to both, at the same time, soothe us, because we know we're not crazy about what we see happening in our world, but also ought to frighten us, because Satan has control of this world, but he has limited control, limited control to what God gives him. And so, I was watching in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man, he came uh, to the ancient of days, they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So as I just read to you from Revelation chapter one and Revelation chapters four and five, this is the heavenly scene of what's happening on the earth. Something different is happening. And as we continue on in Daniel, especially in chapter nine, we're gonna then understand that in the last days, which is coming very soon, I can't predict when it will be, but certainly the signs are pointing to the fact that, that things are about to happen on the earth. We know that Satan 
uh, will then empower his own person, a beast. He will basically make him a Satan or a de- demonic possessed person. And he will become the ruler of the world and he will forge a treaty with Israel, a peace treaty. Remember, there's never been peace in the Middle East. But he will come and broker that peace. So we'll get into this in detail. But when he does that, he, that will then start the time of the tribulation. <coughs> During the time of the tribulation, that seven-year period, we know that exactly three and a half years in, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, that Satan or the Antichrist will walk into the temple, which will have been rebuilt. Currently, it's not built, but it's underway. The plans are underway and the preparations are being made. But he will walk into the temple, into the most holy place, and declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped. And what's happening on the prophetic scene, especially in the heavenly realm, referring you back all the way to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, which are the two passages that give us a a biblical record of Satan's conversation with God in heaven, where he said, I will rise up and I will become like the most high. I want to be like you, God. I want to take your place. I want to usurp your power and your authority. Well, he will finally be given the opportunity to to do that for that seven-year period. And yet in that seven-year period, Three and a half years in, he will walk into the temple and and sort of fulfill his heart's desire from that heavenly conversation in eternity past. And so this is what Daniel is dealing with here. So in verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, presumably an angel, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So the angel explains to him what's happening. I love it when they explain it to us, right? When, like when Jesus said, here's the meaning of the parable. So here's the angel explaining the meaning of his dream to Daniel. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth, But the saints of the Most High, so he kind of just skips over. He says, there there were four kingdoms. But the saints, verse 18, of the Most High, this is going way forward to the end like we've been talking about. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So he's saying, and I think this is what we need to hear today. So listen, especially if you've come in here troubled about something. God is looking all the way to the end. God's looking to the way things are in eternity and the way they will be in time when Jesus Christ rules and reigns and when the saints, he will bring along with him and and ultimately we will be ruling and reigning with him. God looks past all of the, the madness of the kingdoms, what's going on in the world and the political gyrations and the, the wrongs being done and the laws being written today, they're absolutely crazy. They're bizarre. And during these times, he's saying, look, all, remember Daniel, 2,600 years ago, he's saying, look past all that to the time when the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Verse 19, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron. So this is, this is Satan, this is the Antichrist. 
its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled with uh, the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. So in Revelation, the book of Revelation, from chapters 13 through 19, we have the war of Antichrist against the earth. And so we obviously can't go through that here this morning, but I'm just pointing you here at verse 21 about these things that are being described. That time will happen in Revelation chapters 13 through 19. And notice in verse 22, uh, so the, the evil one, this fourth beast was prevailing and making war against the saints, verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Listen to this out of Psalm 2. And if you've ever read it, you might say, well, what does this mean? Hopefully it will come, come to life for you. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. See, every kingdom, every ruler, they're against God. They're against his kingdom. They're against his anointed one, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And notice here as we're working our way through this, what it's saying to us about the saints. You see, we've been given this picture of of leaders and rulers and wars and, and going out and conquering the world and taking people and killing people and ruling in a very harsh and a, a high-fisted way. But notice what happens here when the Ancient of Days comes, what he does, he says the saints will possess it. He says they shall receive it. He says I will give it to them. You see, the saints, us, we don't have to fight there won't, we're, we're not going to be like those kingdoms that had to go out and conquer the world. Our Lord will conquer the world. The kingdoms will be given to him and he will share it with us. And thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. Again, Revelation 13 through 19. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. These are details that haven't yet come to pass on how it's going to be manifested during those last days. And another shall rise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So you get this picture that this little horn of Daniel, the Antichrist, will come in. There will be some kind of confederacy or federation that happens of ten kings, he will conquer three kings and cause them to fall before him. And basically, as an example, all the others will sort of fall and follow behind him. Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. So the Antichrist, you can see there, he'll, he'll want to make a different era. He'll, he'll want to create a name for himself. And he will change law to such a degree that, you know, we've already seen this in the book of Daniel, haven't we? Where the kings tried to make a law, hey, you have to worship the statue. 
You have to worship me for 30 days, all of these things. That's why Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter three were thrown into the fiery furnace. So those are all foreshadowings of what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes and he will use every available means, including the law, to try to force people to worship him. We also know in the time of the book of Revelation, as we, as we believe the rapture of the church will happen before the, re, the, the time of uh, the tribulation is kicked off, then there will be people who come to faith in Christ during the time of the tribulation that this antichrist will come against Israel, come against the Jews, in particular the people of God, and against those who come to believe in Christ during that time, and he will persecute them. And then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's biblical language, and, and I can give you examples here, but time, times, and half a time is one year, and two times is two years, then half a time would be six months. So that would be, and I'll just read this to you, uh, 42 months or 1,260 days or three and a half years or half of the seven-year period. And this will come up again and again. It's going to come up again in Daniel chapter 9. So during this last half, that three and a half years, he seems to be saying here, the last half of the tribulation after this beast, the Antichrist goes in and declares himself to be God. Daniel chapter 9. He will speak pompous and blasphemous things. He will do his best to eradicate the people of God. And the book of Revelation, this is why I wanted to teach it right after the book of Daniel, which is what we're going to do. So you'll see that all of this flows together and how it fits. And it says, verse 26, but the court shall be seated. So the Antichrist comes, he comes in fury, he comes in fire, he, he comes in a vengeance and he wants to persecute and kill the people of God. But the court shall be seated, the court of heaven, Revelation chapters four and five. And they shall take away his dominion, going to the end of the time here in Revelation chapter 20, verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan is cast into the pit for a thousand years. It goes on to say that he'll be let out at the end for a brief time, and then once again, he will be put down. Verse 27, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The saints of the Most High, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. It's at this point I would interject and say to you, go read Revelation 20 and 21 at this point and understand that that's where everything is set in place. Everything is made whole. Everything is restored the way that God wanted it to be. One commentator said this, just sort of summarizing all of this. He says, Daniel has seen the rise and fall of five kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and now the kingdom of Satan, headed by the Antichrist. But the most important kingdom of all is the kingdom that Christ shall establish on earth to the glory of God, the kingdom that Christians long for each time they pray the words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
Daniel finished and said, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. I would imagine if any of us had seen the dream or the vision that Daniel had seen, we would also be troubled because we're going to get to a point a little later in Daniel's writing in chapter 12 where he's asking God these questions and he's like, what does all this stuff mean? And what do you want me to do with this? And the Lord just said, just write it down. Seal it up, it's for a time yet in the future, not yet determined for you. And so, we begin this foray into the prophetic section of Daniel, looking at this one great overarching prophecy that was given to Daniel in a dream. Now, after having gone through all of this, you may say, well, great, what do I do with all this? Well, we learned the lesson that we learned back with King Nebuchadnezzar that God is the king, he is the Lord, he is sovereign ruler over all things, and he will make all things right. You see, everything is under his control and it's, it's all in his hands. And no matter what happens in this world and in our lives, it's all under the rule and the reign and the dominion of God himself. And these same words that God spoke to Daniel 2,600 years ago, These same words, don't worry about all this stuff, just look forward to the kingdom, to the time when God will set all things right. I think we're supposed to do the same thing. As we're going through trials and difficulties and pains and sufferings, you know, we're all getting older. In case you haven't figured out yet, things don't get better when you get older. You know, I just had a birthday. I feel like I have new aches and pains. I keep taking my glasses off. I got two pair of glasses. I can't figure out which one works. It's annoying. It's aggravating. But one day, I'll have a resurrection body. You will have a resurrection body. And we will be in the presence of Christ forever and ever. And I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell this. But I envision being 25 or 30 standing before him forever and ever. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that he loves us. And I know he's going to get us there. And I know that we don't have to be discouraged. We sang it this morning. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus. That, that phrase always gets me every time I sing it. We should never be discouraged. And I live half my life in discouragement. Why should we never be discouraged? Because we have a friend in Jesus. And this friend is the king. He's the Lord. He's the mighty God. Everything's going to be given into his hands. The Ancient of Days is going to hand the title deed to the earth to him, he's going to open it, and as he breaks those seals and opens the scroll, uh, all hell is going to break loose on earth. The kingdom of Satan is going to be once and for all put down as the wrath of God is poured out upon an unbelieving world. God's going to set it all right, and you say, "Why do I have to wait until then?" Because it's what God wills. In the meantime, in the waiting. We wait before him. We go before him. We go to our prayer closet. Like Daniel last week, Daniel was in his prayer closet. People were looking at him in his prayer closet and they decided to condemn him and throw him in the lion's den. And God graciously and mightily delivered him and he sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. That's, just, that's not just something that God did for Daniel. It's something that God wants to do for me. He wants to do for you. So let the ancient of days, let the Messiah, let the Son of God, the Son of Man, let him be the one 
who takes care of all of our worries and our cares. You know, Jesus, his favorite phrase of himself in the Gospels was the Son of Man. And the only place that that phrase is used is in the book of Daniel. Do you know why Jesus did it? He used that phrase, the Son of Man, to needle the scribes and the Pharisees because they knew what it meant. And he was saying, I'm him. The Son of Man was referring to the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. I hope you believe that. I hope you have received that. And I hope and pray this morning that Jesus is the most important person in your world. I hope he takes precedent over every other person and relationship you have. You see, we're even told in Ephesians chapter 5 for marriage that, that God should be first, Jesus should be first. We're married to him before we're married to our spouse. That's how important that relationship is. Jesus said he would make all things new. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, you know, old things have passed away. All things are made new. Listen, today you are new. You have a fresh start in Christ. The old things have passed away. You don't have to continue to live with the old. Cast it out. Listen, it doesn't have to all be resolved. Much of it never will be resolved. Just let it go. Cast it into the hands of God and believe on him. And he will be your deliverer. Lord, we thank you this morning. We bless your holy name. We thank you for this incredible passage of scripture. We thank you for what you've done in speaking to us through it. Lord, would you work this deep within our hearts? And this morning, Lord, if there are any here among us who have never believed in the name of Jesus, then let them in this moment fall on their knees, as it were, before you and just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord, I want to believe in you. I want to receive you. And Lord, come in. Change me. Make me new. Forgive me. Wash me. Make me whole again. And Lord, for those of us here who already believe, Lord, would you renew and restore us this morning? As David prayed after his sin with Bathsheba, where he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, some of us need to have our our joy restored this morning. And would you do that for us, Lord? Please. God, we love you. We bless you. Because you first loved us, we can say that we love you. So, Lord, as we arise and go from this place here, may we go forward in the power and the strength and the majesty and the renewal and the restoration and the hope that you give to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.